Hi, this is AJ Bingham, and I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Regions Financial Corporation. Regions is a different kind of bank, with branches serving Central Texas from Austin to San Antonio and the Rio Grande Valley. Regions can assist your firm with its M&A and investment banking needs, as well as specialty finance in the technology, healthcare, defense, and aerospace sectors. Learn more about Regions at www.regions.com, and you can find more information in the episode notes. Now on the show. Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of the Bingham Group. Our guest today is, our returning guest today is Council Member Jimmy Flanagan, District 6. Welcome back to the show, Jimmy. Glad to be Council here. Council member. <laughs> that's okay. We've known you for, we've, we've known you for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that's fine. Yeah, that's let fine. us live once. In he's, the chamber, maybe not. Yeah, but, he's but covered the eyes. Way. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize, Council member. Um, well, we're watching the show. Yeah, the council just passed the 2019-2020 fiscal year budget on Tuesday. Uh, you were It was a 10-1 vote. You were the one uh, dissenter on that vote. And wanted to just get a little more background, or just a deeper background on uh, why your, th- your thoughts on the on the, dis- the dissent. Yeah, you know when when the legislature passed the uh, the change in our ability to to raise revenue, um, you know we've all been very concerned about the long term impacts of that decision. In fact, the staff was providing charts that showed just two years from now that we have a deficit. You know, the city has never run deficits. We are not allowed to run deficits. In the years past. The, the citizens of Austin elect council members with the knowledge that this community wants a high quality level of service, they want to see a lot of services, and they're willing to be taxed at a level to pay for those services. Unfortunately, the legislature is no longer allowing the citizens of Austin to have that choice when they elect council members. They want to put us through this other Byzantine process. So my main concern, my main concern has been the fact that we were making budget decisions this week without really thinking about the long-term impacts and the long-term obligations those decisions are going, to, are going to result in. And it's only going to make those decisions two and three and four years from now that much harder, mm-hmm. that much more disruptive to the community. How many programs that we initiated today are we going to have to cancel two years from now because we didn't really think about the long-term ability to pay for those services? And that's ultimately why I voted no. Mm-hmm. Were there any programs in particular you're looking at? I mean, over, I mean overall, I get that, but are there any ones in particular that uh, this kind of examples of that? Well, no. And I mean, honestly, what's difficult about this is no council member wants to identify the thing they want to cut because then you create... A, a movement around that thing. Correct. And yeah. then you have a bunch of people that show up to council, including a couple of council members who will say, but this program is so good. Mm-hmm. Look at the 20 people who showed up to the council meeting for this, uh, this amazing quality program. And I have to keep reminding my colleagues, this isn't about whether or not a program is good. It is the fiscal reality that we cannot do all the things. Mm-hmm. We just simply cannot do all the things. The budget that we just decided is one thing, and we are going to continue to work on uh, efficiencies and and uh, you know different types of ways to do business as a city to hopefully account for this, but but I don't believe that we made it any easier. Mm-hmm. Do you expect? I mean, between now and the next three three years, rather, we'll have another legislative session. Do you think any any further kind of actions from the state or expect? That? I guess we can always expect something from the ledge to affect Austin or municipalities, but really particularly to how cities can spend. That particularly there are bills that 
we were tracking, the city was tracking this last session that didn't get through, but are ones that would have been as damaging or limiting to the city's power. You know, the, the legislature um, has for many, many, many sessions talked about the work of cities in Texas and, and not in the most flattering of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's always felt ironic to me because at the same time, cities in Texas have been some of the most successful cities in the nation. Uh, when the Apple campus uh, announcement, the expansion of the Apple campus, which the current campus and the expanded campus are in my district. So mm-hmm. it's, it's close to me and a lot of the employees are, are my constituents. Um, when that announcement was made, Governor Abbott showed up. Governor Abbott sat there while Apple executives talked about how it was the quality of life in Austin and the open, uh, accepting culture, LGBT support, all of these things that make a city that Austin wants to be. And then the governor effectively tried to take credit for that, Mm -hmm. even though during the legislative session, he is one of the three hard-charging folks, him being the lieutenant governor and the speaker of the house, who who are deliberately trying to undermine uh, what is actually making Texas successful, which is our powerfully, economically strong cities. Yeah, that's something definitely uh, the last few sessions I've seen too, right? Are there any other just, were there any other concerns you had this last session, this bill, I mean, again, this bills that were, again, really limiting, right? Or things like that, other nature, things that you're, you're, you're planning on or watching for next session. Even though, and for those who don't know, the Texas government meets every, every, every odd year for 140 days, January uh, through May, typically. And um, so you know, there's a limited window to do things, but in that time, you know, some things can get done uh, for better or worse for cities. And, and for everyone. I mean, the state of Texas has some challenges, mm-hmm. and then those challenges are not being met head on or honestly. I am not a state rep. Mm-hmm. I'm not a state senator. I don't spend uh, all of my time thinking about how the state should do its business better. I'm a city council member. I spend my time thinking about how the city can be better. And I would feel better if the legislature took that same approach and really focused on the areas where the state needs to improve and not worry so much about how our successful cities are behaving. You know, and there are things that the state needs to do better, specifically around healthcare, specifically around mental health, specifically around education, that are falling on cities to solve. Because- Kind of unfunded mandates or defunding or- It's, it's unfunded mandates, but it's also it's also, I'll just give you an example. This is the type of thing that needs an example. I did a ride along with APD four or five months ago. Uh, overnight, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m., I wanted to, to see what they were experiencing and kind of the complexity of the job. And it is a very complicated job. We're driving around, and the officer points to this bar that's on Ben White, and he goes, oh, yeah, that bar overserves. And I was like, well, if you know it overserves, why is there not enforcement action taken mm-hmm. against this bar? And he goes, well, that's TABC's job. Well, what, what is TABC? Well, you know, they don't fully fund TABC. TABC isn't doing their job. Or TABC does targeted enforcement when they target LGBT bars. Mm-hmm. But they're not going after other bars where, uh, for whatever reason, they've decided not to do enforcement. You go to a call, and there's someone experiencing a mental health crisis, and you're, you're trying to engage with them, and then you realize that the only entity that can determine if someone is in a mental health crisis, meaning that you can take them to a place, is a police officer. Hospitals do not have the authority to decide if someone is in mental health crisis. So what that means is someone could be in a hospital and we have to take an officer off the beat, off of policing our streets, send them to the hospital to make this assessment. 
does the state or the hospital reimburse the city for that? No, of course not. Does insurance reimburse the city? Nope, Re insurance doesn't reimburse the city. Can an EMS person do it? Nope, EMS person can't do it either. These are things that the state could fix. Mm -hmm. Things that would make city government more affordable, more efficient. But we have a legislature who is more invested in breaking cities because frankly, when they run for office in their primaries, they run on a promise to break cities. And break Austin sometimes in particular. Our city you know, <laughs> it used to just be Austin. Yeah. You know, that, that stupid bill about Chick-fil-A, which, you know. This was the bill that, though uh, at least the backstory was, city of San Antonio had denied a vendor contract for a Chick-fil-A at the airport there. Yeah. And then I guess that it wasn't Chick-fil-A Corp or the vendor, the company that owned the vend that franchise had sued the city. In the meantime, a bill got passed during the session that I never got the nature of the bill, right? But it basically- So it, it the, what, the bill, it. what the bill said, you know, and, and the governor is, is kind of our grandstander in chief, um, signed that bill while eating Chick-fil-A, which I thought was just- Tableful. Was, um, <laughs> Yeah, I hope the governor, governor is taking care of his health. That's what I'm saying. But the, uh, the bill didn't say anything about Chick-fil-A. The bill said that cities are prohibited from considering what a company spends their money on when we make our procurement decisions. Mm -hmm. So if a company is donating to something that is in opposition to the city's other laws, like non-discrimination laws, then we are prohibited from denying them the contract. I want to repeat that. The state of Texas passed a law that prohibits cities from withholding a contract at the same time that they're telling us we spend too much money. You'd think they'd want to give cities more tools mm -hmm. to withhold contracts. But no, it, it is the reverse because ultimately this is not about good public policy. This is about winning primaries and gerrymandered districts. So when we think about the long list of bills that, that go through the legislature and which ones are good or which ones are bad, it's, you know, as we think about the next session, it is really about the next election mm -hmm. because the makeup of the House changes every two years. Every single person is up for election, just like with Congress. And if we can get people into the State House who are partners with municipalities and not opponents to municipalities, then we can rise all boats, all tide will rise in the state of Texas if we do that, instead of fighting and pitting us against each other. I just don't feel like that's what Texas should be doing, and it's certainly not the Texas spirit to fight against other Texans. Mm -hmm. and, you know, particularly to your point, though, about this, our major metros, right? So our, you know, Austin, San Antonio, Houston, Dallas, uh, the metros, and how, I mean, the strength, the economic strength of, the, of those of those markets, right? Do you, I mean, do you I say correspond or interact with your your colleagues, very, or council colleagues in those various cities um, in any kind of formal way? Or, and particularly, right, so I know with paid sick leave, right, that was an issue, um, Going to the last session, you know, San Antonio had passed an ordinance. Dallas passed one. We Austin had passed one as well. Um, but just, I know there are like I don't know if it's municipal league or league of urban counties, those kind of things. Are there kind of formal ways that you, you know, talk to some of your colleagues and share notes? What's going on, especially particularly for the major metros in Texas? Yeah, it's that's um, that's something that I find that mayors do a lot more yeah. of than the council members do. Uh, I certainly spend a lot of time talking to my constituents in my district about the things that they're feeling and things they're worried about and what they want to see and what they like and what they want to see more of. Um, the mayor does do a lot of that type of collaboration across cities. But during the session, I got to participate in a lot of those conversations as we were really staring, staring down some, some very challenging legislation for every city. You know, this tax cap thing 
is not something that just the city of Austin didn't like. Every city in the state of Texas opposed it, even the ones that have conservative elected officials, mm-hmm. because it's just not sustainable. The, the bottom line for tax caps, which say the new law says you cannot raise revenue more than 3.5% a year. The problem is, in order to recruit, retain, and hire new police officers, firefighters, and paramedics, you have to give raises that are 5.5% or higher. That is the market for people who, who want to enter public safety jobs. They're difficult jobs. They, they deserve to be highly paid. Um, but in order for us to have a public safety force, you have to be able to pay people enough that they want the job. And when almost 70% of the budget comes from public safety, you can very quickly see over time how the math doesn't work. Yeah. And that's what we're looking at years three, four, and five in our budget projection as we can only raise revenue 3.5, but all of our largest department's costs, personnel costs are going up much faster than that. Yeah. Let's move back to the district. I like your point about the expansion of Apple's campus there and you know what that, what that means for Austin and for the district and talk about some other just what the Look, uh, issues or things you have going on in District 6. And for those not familiar with Austin's makeup, District 6 uh, kind of rests in uh, far, say far north, northwest Austin. Um, and, and yeah, but, you know, it's kind of, it straddles the line with, uh, growing, up, growing up in South Austin, the, the 78745, it's, I mean, might as well be, I always call it South Dallas. I know it's more lovingly because it's just so far away mentally for me. But yes, those but, of you in, from North San Antonio <laughs> south uh, of the, need south of the to uh, really like take a step back. <laughs> Thank you, San Marcos, for joining us today. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, so District 6 is far northwest, like you said. It's half Williamson County. I live in Williamson County myself. I'm the first Williamson County person to be on the Austin City Council. Uh, it goes all the way down 620 out to Mansfield Dam. So if you think about where Lakeline Mall is, that's kind of the northern. I remember most. that was built. That was like the new. You know, new that thing. is the edge of town. Yeah, and it, it still was, is yeah. the edge of town. Uh, you go out to Lakeline Mall. It doesn't feel like the edge of town because Cedar Park and Leander and other cities are densifying. Uh, uh, Round Rock's densifying. Those are all the cities that adjoin uh, where I'm at. But uh, there's been a lot of growth, and depending on how you calculate it, the most growth occurring in my district as opposed to other parts of town, a lot of new apartment buildings getting built, even some some uh, old school neighborhoods that are getting finished out, like Avery Ranch, which mm-hmm. Avery Ranch and Pearson Ranch, which there's still like the last few few streets of homes that are getting built out there. Um, when when I talk to my constituents, a lot of them work in high tech. A lot of them come from uh, are, are in Austin because of the job growth and the strong economy that we have. Uh, it's, it, my district has the largest Asian community of all the districts, and so I, I work a lot with uh, Asian community leaders and the Asian Resource Center and um, to, to try to make sure that that constituency is, is well represented and their issues are taken care of. Of course, I'm the first openly gay man to serve on the city council, so I also work a lot with uh, the LGBT community and ensure that those issues are being taken care of mm-hmm. um, on, on top of the issues of my district. But really, when you think about far northwest Austin and you ask someone what... Um, what their top three issues are up until maybe two months ago. And we can talk about homelessness in a second. I was going to go there. I don't think, I don't think you, I don't think it makes sense to avoid it. Right. Yeah. Like the topic is the topic. We should talk about it. But uh, up until June, you would ask someone their top three issues and they would say traffic, traffic and traffic. So I have spent uh, a majority of my time on the council working on traffic issues and the related issues like land use, because if you build a bunch of stuff out, but you don't build the roads and vice versa, if you build the roads, but pretend that you're not going to get a bunch of stuff built along it and you end up with the Katy Freeway in the middle of your suburb. So 
uh, I do a lot of work there. I do a lot of regional work. So I, I'm the city's representative on CAPCOG, which is the 10 county kind of governance body. It doesn't really have any power, it's but like it's kind of people area, get together. Council of governments. Council of governments, yeah. And I'm one of four city representatives on CAMPO, which does regional transportation, most specifically helps manage the state and federal money. So there's hundreds of millions of dollars that get spent every two years through that organization. I also chair the Regional Economic Development Board through CAPCOG. That, I got that position earlier this year, and we're working on ways to bring our surrounding communities to the table in a way that we can get economies of scale and save money as municipalities, and that's, that's what I'm trying to do there. Um, and, and we've made some great strides. We've got the 183 Express Lanes project that's been approved. That's going to not just put express lanes in the middle of 183 North, but will fix some of the lane issues and on-ramp issues that we've had on 183 that cause a lot of traffic problems. Uh, bond projects that I got into the 2016 bond, Anderson Mill Road, Four Points, Palmer Lane, those projects are underway. Um, hopefully Anderson Mill Road, which was kind of the signature project of my campaign from 2016, mm -hmm. hopefully uh, we will see shovels in the dirt uh, in 2020. It's been my, my hope to get them there. Um, and then even smaller projects, we, we've done a couple of school safety projects where we got uh, those pedestrian crossing beacons where you press the button and it lights, but it's not a full stoplight. Uh, we've got two of those got installed, one by Live Oak uh, Elementary and Deer Park Middle School on Anderson Mill, another set over on Pearson Ranch Road where you have uh, Pearson Ranch Middle and Elsa England Elementary and Patsy Sommer Elementary where almost the entirety of the student population has to cross a four lane major road in order to get to school because the way they drew the attendance lines. Mm -hmm. So even though there's a, a neighborhood behind those schools, none of those kids actually attend those schools. So it's, we've been doing a lot of school safety issues and getting some sidewalks installed and other things. So what I, what I really enjoy about being on the city council, one of the things I enjoy a lot, I mean, I enjoy a lot of it, but uh, is that the issues are real, they are substantive, and you can actually fix them. Yeah. I, I can imagine that it would be very frustrating to be in Congress where even if you had a Congress where everybody agreed, you wouldn't really see the impacts of that, but for quite a long time. Yeah. And often well, the way Congress solves a problem is that they pass money down to lower levels of government. So a lot of the money that you see in our city budget is actually the spending of state and federal grants. The public health department is probably the biggest, that and neighborhood housing probably the biggest spenders of outside money. So you say, oh, they have a $1.2 billion budget, whatever it was. Well, yeah, kind of a big chunk of that is funding coming from other sources. but. Mm -hmm. Um, so I spend most of my time working on traffic and land use, and those have been the primary issues. And now we need to talk about homelessness. Yeah, I'm curious, yeah. So just uh, up to speed on that, that probably the council, man, it's, it seems like it's longer than it was from the discussion. All the amount of discussions going on, it wasn't that long ago. It was right before we went, you all went on recess. Yeah. And so it was like the June 22nd hearing. Yeah. Passed is a homeless ordinance that decriminalized. Uh, now we're talking about that. It's, it's come up again, but decriminalized camping and. Um, um, I mean, yeah, so pen, let's talk pen, about pen handling. Hold on, let's let's talk yeah, about yeah. it. Right, so that break it down. Yeah, I'll break it down. Um, the ordinances. There were three ordinances. One was about panhandling. One was about sitting and lying, and one was about camping. Mm -hmm. The panhandling ordinance. Uh, there was a court ruling that determined that asking someone for money, just the act of asking for money, is protected speech under the First Amendment. So we changed that ordinance to be an aggressive behavior ordinance. It actually kind of expanded the authority a little bit. So you still you can ask for money, but you can't grab someone, you can't threaten them, you can't be aggressive. So that that's in place. The sit-lie ordinance was always only ever applicable downtown, so that was repealed. Um, you know, I don't think it makes sense to apply special rules to special parts of the city, to our different parts of the city. We should all abide by the same rules. 
and then the camping ordinance. And what, we've, what we learned in this process is the, the cities on the West Coast that, were, that, that you can see these dramatic impacts. These, LA. These LA, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all, they're all struggling with some, some very difficult homelessness issues. They had really strict camping bans up until like a year ago. And, and I know that the, those homeless issues in those communities did not start a year ago. But what was happening is that they had these camping bans often pushed by more affluent areas of those cities because their city councils are in districts kind of like ours. And so they would get these laws passed and then have the cops move people who were, who were homeless from one part of the city to another part of the city. And then six months later, there's still the homeless people. In fact, there's a few more because instead of spending money getting people out of homelessness, you spent money just moving them around your city like chess pieces. Then the police department comes back and they say, well, you know, we've got these camping bans, but we don't have enough officers to enforce them. We need more officers. And so then the city council says, well, okay, here's some more officers. And they up the budget and they raise your taxes. And then another year goes by and more people have entered homelessness. And the money that you maybe should have spent getting people out of homelessness, you spent on officers moving people around the chessboard. They come back another year and they say, oh, well, there's even more homelessness and we need more officers. And before you know it, you get five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years into this process. And there's nowhere left on the chessboard to move people around. Yeah. They're literally camping everywhere, and, and you've spent all of your money hiring officers to move people around from one camp to another. You've not actually addressed the problem. That doesn't mean that camping is okay. That doesn't mean that I like seeing it or that anybody likes seeing it or, or that it's a great condition for people to be in. But the, but, but the reality of it is if we want to address homelessness, if we want to see this change, we cannot do what they did on the West Coast which was ban it in certain areas and then move people around a chessboard and pretend that that solved the problem. We have to make investments on not just getting people off the streets, but stopping people from entering the streets. Mm-hmm. People, don't be, people don't turn into a camper under an overpass overnight. It starts with some type of family disruption, a financial disruption, uh, a health issue. They start to struggle to pay their rent. Then maybe they couch surf for a while. They live out of their car for a while. And then, and then they can't make the car payment anymore or their friend can't handle them on the couch anymore. And now they're kind of under a, a door awning for a while, but they don't, they don't really think of themselves as homeless yet. And then maybe they've, they've kept the job a little bit, but it's getting harder to keep the job. But now that they're on the street, now they're starting to experience mental health issues and trauma, not that led to them being homeless, but as a result of being homeless, now their mental health issues are increasing. And the longer we wait to intervene, the longer we wait to help people get back onto their feet, the more expensive it gets to address it. This is, this is a continuum, this is a spectrum of work, and it's not gonna be one solution. And the camping ban is not a solution to any of it. Mm-hmm. All it does is move people around the city in a way that allows you to ignore it, but also you've wasted the money moving people around the city instead of helping people stop being homeless. Yeah, and again, there are finite, st- there are finite staff resources for APD, right? So them here, or an officer here, or an officer not there. There's finite resources wrong. for everything. Everything, true. Right, there's finite resources for everything. And, you know, and I've talked to, the, to, the, uh, to some police officers and some of my neighborhood police um, representatives, and you know, they, they're frustrated uh, as well. And I, you know, people want to characterize this. Sometimes the police association wants to characterize this as a frustration between the council and the department. But I don't really, th- I think that's a symptom. That's not the core issue. We're both frustrated because we want to solve this problem. And it is a difficult, challenging problem to address. And what, what the officers liked about the camping ban 
is when someone would call and they would say, oh, I'm feeling uncomfortable by this thing, the officer could go out there and say, well, you gotta go, mm -hmm. you gotta move. And then the person who called the officer felt really good about that. Oh, that's great, police officer did their job. The person they asked to move wasn't doing anything necessarily, or there was a person who was doing something, they were behaving inappropriately, but now they've disappeared, and so now they're just kind of like doing a camp sweep just yeah. to make someone feel better. You've spent police resources, you've made one person in the community feel better, but you've actually done nothing to address the underlying issue. So the officers are frustrated because they don't know what tools are the right tools to use, and we've taken away one of the tools they got comfortable with. The public is struggling to understand what the long-term solution for this is going to be, because even though the council has passed an action plan, we've passed homeless plans, we've made historic investments into these uh, solutions, it takes a little bit of time for government to implement. We've been talking about this since June, but we just passed the budget two days ago. Yeah. So it's gonna take you know months, if not if not you know six or nine months, to start seeing these solutions be implemented. But but the camping ban doesn't help. It only takes resources away from the solutions you actually need to use. Yeah. So the last this, this most recent budget allocated sixty two point seven million dollars for homeless initi homeless initiatives. Um, and a lot of that was already was already allocated. So gotcha. so that's not a there delta. There are talking points out there. You, you I'm sure you see it on Facebook or things like that, kind of kind of highlighting those things as it's some brand new thing that's going. So we're you know, we when when we got our new city manager, um, you know, we told uh, Spencer Cronk, we told him that you know we were frustrated with a budget process. The last the first budget I went through had this, where the staff would bring a budget. That was what they had done the previous year. And then the council would load it up with whatever stuff they felt they wanted to be in the budget. And it was really weird. It took three days, and it was, it was terrible, right? In, in uh, 2017, in that budget adoption, four of us voted no, which is how bad that process was. So then the next budget, we all voted yes. We kept the tax rate at 5.5, which was pretty amazing. We got to make investments in, in a number of areas. I think we took a step back a little bit this year in that way. What the staff brought us in a base budget made additional investments in areas that the community told us and that we told staff were important, housing and homelessness and um, um, you know, some, some of the improvements that we want to see on climate change in parks and open space. And, um, but then we, some of my colleagues, I should say, um, kind of loaded up a little bit, which ultimately why I voted no, as I said, as I said earlier. But we are making historic investments we also added more officers mm -hmm. because the, the, uh, the 30. 30, 30 new officers and those not necessarily all beat cops. Some of those are detectives. Some of those are, um, I'm going to get the titles wrong, but kind of management level or you know, so that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, because it is a growing city and we, we still need traffic enforcement and we still need some patrolling and we still need some of those things. So it's not that, uh, that we need fewer police, although there are people who advocate for that. It's a big city. We, we need a department to do kind of the regular police work. We'd certainly need more detectives and folks who, who can um, uh, bring people to justice after a crime is committed. But there's not terribly a lot of evidence that police can prevent crime. Crime prevention is more about, in my opinion, socioeconomic issues. Do, do people have good jobs? Do they have access to health care? Do they have access to the things that they need? Do people feel safe? Mm -hmm. But do they feel, feel safe is something that we can create not by police officers, but by how we talk about our community. So it's, it's, it is a very complicated 
situation. I'm glad that we that we added more officers and firefighters and paramedics. We added mental health folks to the 911 call. We've got some telemedicine stuff coming in, things that will help maximize our officers' time on the street when they're when they're doing their policing. Um, so so these these investments are being made. I am hopeful. This is a moment for hope. The 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 camping ban is is a moment in time. We will look back on this three and four years from now and be glad that we took this seriously and solved this problem right now. And what is primarily different between Austin and where LA and San Francisco and Seattle were 10, 15 years ago is that this city council is unified in its commitment to solve it. Not divided where half the council says, well, just keep, keep them out of my district. Mm -hmm and the other half trying to solve it, and then you end up not being able to solve it. Can you talk about, and uh, this, this vote may have already happened by the time this is, uh, the show gets posted, but there was a vote, there's another or not even coming up on your September 19th agenda. And I, I was just a KUT article I was reading this morning. I have a chance to review the whole, the whole ordinance, whether it relates to homelessness or? Yes. You, you, yeah, fair enough. Do you know, if you don't, I'm putting the spot because we're, we're, I've read them. Yeah, yeah. What, uh, what's the, the gist of it, right? Because I'm already here, I'm already seeing posts <laughs> online about it. And you kind of so, you know, it's, it's tricky, I think, because the, this is going to get posted after we have a bunch of debate. Isn't that what you said? I'm, it may. I mean, I might end up, uh, either way, this, either yeah, way. This is, it uh, often get listened to yeah. after the whole, I might post it down. Wednesday. I might um, do it before the actual, uh, you know, I, some of my colleagues have, have posted, um, a desire to list, certain streets or certain areas of town where we're going to expand camping bans. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how those council members can expect me to justify that to my district to say why we're going to pick certain areas that are going to have a thing that we know doesn't work mm -hmm. but makes people feel better temporarily but, again, doesn't solve the problem. How do I go back to my constituents and say, yeah, you know, we're all frustrated by tents. We're all frustrated by the situation. We're making these investments. We're going to get this problem solved. But I'm letting West Campus opt out. That, that's, there's just no way I can justify that. Mm -hmm. and, and let's be very clear. If that happens, it's not that those homeless people disappear. They go one street over. There, there's, no, there's no camping ban that, that ended homelessness. Mm -hmm. It just shifts it around. And that is not okay either. We can't be messing around with this type of policymaking. We need to stick to the plan, the action plan that we approved earlier this year, not the ordinances, but the action plan, the thing that actually says, here are the investments, here are the things we got to do. Our homeless strategy officer, our new chief homelessness officer joined the city. A month ago or less? This week. This week. This week. Why are we doing more ordinances and resolutions? We have staff who are trained. This, this woman and Lauren, I can't remember her last name, but Lauren came from Orlando. We're not pulling people out of the West Coast to repeat bad mistakes. We're pulling people and ideas from cities that have made progress on this issue. And we are going to make progress on this issue. And we cannot go backwards to move forward. All right. Councilmember, I want to end on that note. And uh, this, issue, this episode may be, post, may be posted before that meeting. So, uh, Love to get you maybe your uh, some written thoughts from you on that post meeting, but uh, thank you. Anytime. Thank you for your time, and as always, lively discussion. Yeah, All thanks, right. AJ. Hi, this is AJ. We want to again thank our sponsor, Regents Financial Corporation, with branches serving Central Texas from Austin to San Antonio and the Rio Grande Valley. Regents can help your firm with its M&A and investment banking needs, as well as specialty finance, the technology, healthcare, defense, and aerospace sectors. Learn more about Regents in the episode notes.
Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.